Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band, it's a bad band, it's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what, there's music in the air. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim, what a show we've got. Uh, we've got one of the fun... You know, it's, it's rare that we can say we have brought someone into the studio, onto our show, that is a true pioneer, one of the legendary figures at the ground floor of a, an entire musical movement. It's true. But I think the hype is totally justified in this case. We have David Thomas and the band Per Ubu, the legendary Cleveland underground avant garage band from That's the right. mid-70s. One of the inventors of punk rock, although David disowns that. We'll he, talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, he'll, uh, and he'll play because Per Ubu, the fact is, Per Ubu is as vital today as they ever have been and this performance will blow your mind. We're also going to review the new albums from The Game, the multi-platinum West Coast rapper, king of West Coast rap, self-proclaimed. The first album in, in a while with any attention behind it from Burt Yanch, a founding member of the uh, 60s psychedelic folk movement, and a new Beatles album. Yes, yes, huh? 36 years after they split. A new <laughs> Beatles album. What else is new? But uh, first, as always, we have some music news. Hey, hey, uh, show me what you got. That is Jay-Z from the new album Kingdom Come, uh, one of the biggest rappers in the world, working for the biggest record company in the world, Universal Music Group. The news regarding Jay-Z and Universal is that Microsoft, that other computer company that is now getting into the mp3 business or um, trying to apple's been kicking its butt yes indeed apple has got the ipod which is selling like gangbusters the most popular mp3 player in the universe if you uh, believe the apple hype well now microsoft is finally answering apple with its own version of an mp3 player it's called a zune z-u-n-e and uh, it debuted last week. The twist on the Microsoft introduction of its own MP3 player is that it will now pay royalties on sales of these MP3 players to record companies like Universal. It struck an agreement with Universal to pay a royalty for every sale of a Zune to a customer. Uh, That's revolutionary. Yes, because Apple doesn't have to do that. Well, no, Sony invented the CD player, and Sony is also a record company. But, you know, aside from that connection, we've never had hardware manufacturers paying royalties to artists via the record companies. I think it's a recognition that, in fact, these iTunes stores, these MP3, these legitimate stores that are selling music for which royalties are paid to the record companies really aren't that big of a business yet, and who knows if they ever will be. But the players themselves are a huge business. The iPods continue to sell 
in the multi-millions, and that's where the real money is. And uh, Apple has not had to pay a royalty and has not had a, struck any kind of agreement with any of the record labels to pay royalties on this most lucrative end of the digital music business. But now Microsoft, I think they're trying to corner the market here a little yeah. bit, Jim, by saying, hey, record companies, come to us, uh, work with us, make a lot of music available for us to put on our MP3 players because we're going to be paying a royalty on each one of these devices that we sell. And the royalty sounds pretty small. About a buck, a little bit more than a buck to the record companies, which the record yeah. companies say they will then split 50-50 with the <laughs> artist. But you know what? Let's it's... wait for the call from the artist who gets that check. <laughs> okay. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. He'd let us in knows where we've been in his octopus's garden in the shade you know greg i love ringo star i really do <laughs> but i don't know if i ever needed to hear octopus's garden merged together with the strings from goodnight that is a sampling of the beatles new album love what love is is a spin-off of the Cirque du Soleil production that just opened in June at the Mirage in Las Vegas. I'm not even going to comment on that. You know, the Beatles <laughs> in Vegas with, with, with people in tights. Whatever. Okay. If it's your thing, good. It certainly is a lot of people's thing because Love Cirque du Soleil show has been generating $2.3 a week and is expected to run for at least a decade. Again, big bucks to be had. And so along comes the venerated Beatles producer, George Martin, and his 37-year-old son, Giles. <laughs> they, they dove into this full-on, with the full-on approval of all the Beatles, all the survivors all the living of the Beatles. Beatles. Yeah. Yes. I don't know the, what George and John think. The Beatles' brain trust, you know, including Yoko Ono, Olivia Harrison, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, they all signed off on this. They thought, what a great idea. Harrison was good friends with the, uh, the founder of, of Cirque du Soleil. And they struck up this friendship, and as a result, this CD was born. They wanted to create something new for this Beatles homage that Cirque du Soleil had created. They didn't just want to play over old Beatles track. And essentially what they have done is created the most expensive remix record in the history of popular music. <laughs> yeah, right, I mean, right. They have remixed the entire Beatles, uh, not the entire catalog. 37 songs. Tw 26 tracks on this particular record yeah. mixed in with a bunch of other songs. So you've got these mashups where you're, where you're literally taking Beatles song A and Beatles song B and lopping them over each other. Giles and George, father and son, the Martins, have been paying uh, no shortage of homage to DJ Danger Mouse, the New York producer who in 2004 took the vocal tracks from Jay-Z's The Black Album, put them on uh, remixed and reworked versions of musical tracks from The White Album, a.k.a. The Beatles, and came up with The Grey Album. Right. A brilliant, that's a real mashup. When you take two things that, that, you know, chocolate and peanut butter, that don't go together, you put them together, right. and you come up with something new, uh, that's a real mashup. This isn't not so much a mashup. It's like a remix. Well, there are several examples of, of straight-on mashups. We're going to play one for you here. The entire album is not a mashup, but it is remixed. Two discs. Yes. One, a plain old CD disc can play on your, your boom box if yeah. you want. The other, the 5.1 surround sound remix DVD. 
No video on there, but this 5.1 surround, which nobody in the universe I know actually has. Yeah. I guess you can take it to a stereo store and have them sample it for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, uh, they keep, it, it's certainly an attraction for audiophiles. I admit, I, I don't have anything to play it on. We're low-tech uh, here the, at Sound Opinions. But the stereo mix, and it should be mentioned, is, is pretty profoundly an improvement upon the those Beatles CDs that came out in 1987. What they've done here, Jim, is they've gone back to the original masters, which the Beatles CDs did not. They went back to the original master recordings that the Beatles used, uh, George Martin and Giles Martin, and they played around with this original source material, and they used the best of modern technology to make it sound really good. I mean, yeah. the, the fidelity of this stuff is pretty uh, ear-popping, I'd well, have let's, to say. Well, let's hear a little of it and then give our verdict. What we're going to play is the track that uh, combines Within You, Without You, the Harrison Eastern drone with Tomorrow Never Knows, the classic psychedelic epic from Revolver. Here it is on Sound Opinions. That was one of the true mashups on this uh, very elaborate remix record called Love. That is a combination of two classics from the uh, the Beatles' psychedelic era, mashed up, Within You, Without You, with uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. It's, it's kind of fun. It's a, it's a fun little trivial pursuit here uh, <laughs> that, by the way, is going to make the Beatles a, a Another scad load of money. Yeah. What it really does, Jim, is it sets up the fact, uh, I alluded to this earlier, those Beatles CDs that were mastered in 1987 sound pretty crappy in comparison to this. So mm-hmm. what they're really doing is putting out this teaser saying, listen to how great these remixes sound. So you can all buy it one more time. So now, in the, I, I guarantee it, yeah. in the next couple, three years, we're going to see all of the Beatles CDs reissued again yeah. with these new mixes going back to the original master tapes. You know, these guys have become a major marketing corporate machine par excellence. No one can rival the Beatles when it comes to making money and making more money on top of more money. Well, so that's, that's essentially what they're doing here. This is not despicable. an essential Beatles right here. I, I'm more offended than that, though, even, because this was a noble idea that was uh, executed professionally but without any real vision. As a critic was born the year the Beatles arrived in America, I've grown up with them my entire life, although I did not experience Beatlemania. I want Generation Y to understand the good things about this catalog. I applaud attempts to recontextualize the Beatles. I think the Grey album is brilliant. I think Paul McCartney's dabblings with the DJ youth as the fireman and the stuff he did with the super furry animals, the Liverpool Oratorio, that's great. I mean, you know, take the stuff, rework it, make it electronic, open people's ears, don't just make us, remind us that it's elevator music. This could have been so amazing, and instead it's a piece of product as superficial, <laughs> ersatz, glitzy, and, and, and commercially driven as the whole Vegas Strip. It belongs on the Vegas Strip, and that's about it. On the sound opinions, buy it, burn it, trash it, 
uh, scale. This is a trash it record, Greg, because it's so cynical. Yeah, you, d- you don't need it. And it would have been cool to see a Danger Mouse, you know, get carte blanche. Okay, you go play around with these masters. Bring, yeah. bring in an outsider and have him go crazy over those master tapes. Who knows what, would, what this could have sounded like. But as it is, it's clearly a marketing ploy to set up the campaign for the upteenth reissues of the, of the Beatles yeah. catalog. And for that reason, you've got to give it a trash it. I'm with you, Greg. And as you know, money can't buy you love. But love is all you need. All right, let's move on. Another newsworthy release, this time from a West Coast hip-hop artist. I'm the doctor's advocate. Trey Shotcha brought me back from the dead. That's why they call him the doctor. The math's gonna drop him. And 50 ain't rocking with him no more. It's okay, I get it popping. Whole club rocking like a six-four parlor. Drink Chris, throw it up. Call it hydraulic. Then send it up. Call it hypnotic. I bleed confident. Spit crackish. Greg, that is a track called It's Okay, Friends, One Blood, from the much-anticipated sophomore album Doctor's Advocate by West Coast rapper The Game, the 26-year-old West Coast rapper uh, known to his mom as Jason Taylor. Mr. Taylor told MTV News recently, if Straight Outta Compton never hit, this record would have been Straight Outta Compton. What he means by that, referring to the 1988 classic by N.W.A. is uh, it's the epitome of a West Coast gangster rap album. He considers himself the new king of West Coast rap, and he got a big push toward claiming that title on his last album. 2004, the documentary, his debut, was produced by Dr. Dre, who uh, is the doctor of the title, the doctor's advocate here, and uh, Dre is all over these lyrics. But he's not producing the record. Dre and 50 Cent gave uh, the game his start. Now the game has split with that aftermath camp and uh, hired instead some of the uh, best red-hot top-dollar producers money can buy, all of whom are paying homage to Dre's West Coast sound. And uh, as I said, many of the lyrics are about uh, he's alternately kissing up to, trying to get back into the good graces of Dre and that crew, and insulting them. Uh, That's one major theme. The other is the gangster rap standard tropes. He's a very bad man, very dangerous, he would have you know. (laughs) He has sex with many, many women, and he does lots of drugs. None of this is new. We are going to play the title track doctor's advocate here on sound opinions i didn't mean to walk away but i hear every word they say i guess my mind just drew a blank like now i'm sitting in this dead eye cage reminiscing about my day with your blood all over my slate as the devil says I ain't mean to turn my back on you, but I'm a man, and sometimes a man do what he gotta do. Remember, I'm from Compton too. I saw you in Easy and them, so I started wearing khaki suits. I was 12 smoking chronic in 92. I had a choice, be like Mike or be like you. I made a choice, and that was be Crip or be Pyro. Whatever I was, I was banging gin and juice. Never knew back then I'd be friends with Snoop. Now I gotta keep it gangster because it's in my roots. So I owe you my life when I betrayed you. You. I try to think of what the fuck Eminem might do If ever they hated him for that black shit track And singing out bumping Dre after D-Bars got slapped When Doc say it's a rap, it's a rap It's still aftermath and ain't nothing after that That is the title song from the new album, The Doctor's Advocate Basically saying, man, I miss you, man, I miss you, Dre So the game looked up to Dr. Dre I mean, Dre mentored him, signed him, oversaw his first record 
But then the game made the mistake of getting into a war of words with 50 Cent, one of Dre's other protégés that he had signed (laughs) and nurtured all along. And in this war of words, the game ended up the loser. Dre had to pick one or the other. He picked 50 Cent. He said, get off my label. Basically, the game left Dre's label, left Dre's production facility, moved to Geffen, made this record, named it after Dre, but it doesn't have anything to do with Dre anymore, nor 50 Cent, who wrote a lot of the hooks on that first record. I, th- I see him as sort of like the Alistair Cook of, of gangster rap. I mean, he's like the history channel of gangster rap. <laughs> Remember back when we were 92, we were smoking chronic, when we were listening to the chronic, uh, and it, it, doggy style was coming out. And it's like a history. He, he's reminiscing so fondly about this musical movement that came out of L.A. in the late 80s, early 90s, and he's referenced, he, he name-checks everybody several times. Dre is mentioned more than 40 times alone oh my on God. this record. He mentions Snoop Dogg dozens of times. I mean, it, it is literally like this History Channel retrospective of what made gangster rap great. Except that it's, you know, NC-17 rated. Uh, you know, yeah, in, sure. the, in that song, Too Much, Too Much Cristal in the Club Not to Get Drunk, Too Many Blanks in the World <laughs> Not to Blank, Too Much Chronic in the Studio Not to Roll It Up. Oh, it's like, you know, hey, that is so old and played. And Kanye West, his mama is going to be ashamed of him. Donda West is going to be ashamed because it is the slightest artistic and, and most insulting sexist track that Kanye has ever had a hand in yeah. is, is Wouldn't Get Far, which is all about these alleged loose women who are the eye candy in all the rapper's yes. videos and, and hop from one video to another and from one rapper's bed to another. It's, right. it's despicable. And when the game compares it to Straight Outta Compton, let us not forget that along with Dre and the other boobs and NWA kind of doing the pandering to the street was Ice Cube doing searing piercing political stuff with oh, yeah. Blank the Police. I mean, Absolutely. that is a track that if you if you heard that track in 88, what happened in the wake of the Rodney King verdicts would never have surprised you. You know, there is nothing remotely like that coming out of the game. No, he has nothing new to say, and, and the style is slavishly hooked into that early 90s sound. He's not advancing. And this guy is really the first major nostalgia act that I can think of mm. in mainstream hip-hop. And he's been very successful <laughs> at it. But I tell you, the one thing that makes this record interesting for me and I'm ready to trash it, just as I did the, the first record, which I thought was really awful, is this really weird personality issue that he has with Dre and with 50 Cent. That, that's because that Kevin Federline talking about, you know, how he's got no money now because Britney left him. I mean, you know, who cares? There's evidence of a real personality here is what I'm saying. And it may be a, a sick, weird, twisted, bizarre personality, <laughs> but nonetheless a personality all, all its own. And from that standpoint... Sample some of this. Maybe right. burn, burn right. a couple so, of these so tracks. This is a burn it from you. I would actually say burn it because some of the grooves are pretty cool. I think Will I Am comes up with a cool groove, and and you're going to want to hear a little of it just because it's going to be ubiquitous. But but you know, don't spend your cash on it. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. You're also listening to a little bit of the modern dance uh, classic early track from our guests in the studio in the next segment of the show, Punk Progenitors Pair Ubu with David Thomas as the lead singer. We're going to have a live performance and an interview with them next, as well as a review of the new Burt Yance record and a Desert Island jukebox from Jim DeRogatis.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, a pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. We're here with uh, Perubu, David Thomas, Keith Molinay, Michelle Temple, Robert Wheeler, and Steve Melman. 30-year career dating back to the mid-70s in Cleveland. Been quite an amazing journey for this band. David Thomas is the one guiding force in the band in those 30 years. David... A lot of people are talk about Perubu as progenitors of, of punk rock, and if not Perubu, uh, your other Cleveland band, Rocket from the Tombs. Talk a little bit about that, whether that's a mantle that you uh, enjoy well, we'll, being saddled we'll, we'll, with. We'll take on any mantle you choose, but punk, punk rock was a foreign, contagion, anti-American, multicultural, <laughs> corporate lunge at, at selling blue jeans. And so, no, we don't have anything to do with that. Um, so you were horrified by uh, what happened with the, no, we're the sex horrified pistols? By, no, no, we're not horrified by it. it you know, certainly we, we might have felt an affinity for some, I mean, uh, you know, a like, you know, that's musically interesting. But no, I'm just, um, you asked me about whether we associate ourselves with it, and, it's no, and the answer is no, mm-hmm. but... Um, well, in the broader terms, David, we've talked any number of times, yeah. and I always find it so inspiring. Yeah. Because as you once put it to me, you, you consider yourself like those communists who, after the 30s, continued to hold the ideal, even though it was corrupted even in myriad ways. Even though do so. <laughs> I mean, when you, were, when you were 20 and reading Cream magazine and forming this band in Cleveland and thinking, we can do something, Peter Loeffner and I, and Rocket from the Dominion. I mean, did you ever think that half a century later you'd be sitting here in a public radio studio in Chicago and we'd still be talking about this. Well, and that rock and roll would still have some power to you. Well, musicians are marked by several characteristics. One of them is a lack of imagination, <laughs> by which I mean the ability to see a better future for yourself. You're still trying to figure out what you're going to do when you grow up. No, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's just I, um, This is one of the earliest questions we were ever asked in 75 by some French person how long are you going to be together? And I said, well, gee, you know, we've been out here for just six months, and we're ask- they're asking <laughs> us when we're going to quit. Um, and the answer was, well, tomorrow or 30 or 40 years from now. You know, I don't, you know. This is part of the, part of the weakness of character and historical perspective of many uh, music critics, Pleasant Company accepted, in that you can't understand rock music or anything about it unless you perceive it as, as an American folk music, in that the rules that govern, the principles that govern rock music are the same as what is commonly considered to be folk music. Mm. I always sort of understood that, and I figured that, you know, most folk musicians get old and tiresome, and I was hoping for that for me. <laughs> well, David Thomas is older than he was when he started. And Peru. more tiresome. <laughs> and not tiresome. You, you have a frightening reputation, perhaps, for some, but yeah. you have never scared Mr. Cott or myself. I know. Well, I try. And yeah. it, is, it is an honor for us to have you here, and you well, know that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you guys play us a tune? This is a new Peru album, and it is great. First in four years, and it's called Why I Hate Women. You going to give us a song from that? Or yes, a- this is a song called Babylonian Warehouses. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
that's so beautiful. <laughs> the EML synthesizer fades into the distance. <laughs> Babylonian warehouses, Peruvu from uh, Why I Hate Women. Thank you so much. Thanks. Before we get any further, David, you are an aficionado of using particular microphones for vocal effects. You were singing into a telephone receiver for, right. for that, dude. <laughs> is that an actual phone receiver? This is an actual phone, yeah. It's very low-tech. Excellent. Some people have pedals for that. David brought his phone. We don't believe in spending money when free will do. <laughs> that, now, that was a key part of the punk ethic that, uh, that got corrupted. Robert, over there, on the, you don't have a microphone. So David can answer for you. But is that, is that a synthesizer you built? The theremin is self-built. He built it in school as a shop project. And he got a C on it, rated C, <laughs> because he couldn't play America the Beautiful on it. I've heard that story many times. All right. All right. So you're free to speak for him since he doesn't have a mic. What is it about that EML synthesizer that you love, David? Is, I mean, that's one of the signature sounds of Perubu. Another, of course, is guitar. And... We, and Man, oh man, Keith Molinay is doing some great guitar stuff. But is, are there certain things that Perubu can't be Perubu if those sounds aren't in the band? Um, the advantage of the analog synthesizer is that it's it's an uncontrollable beast, and so it won't cooperate in what what project of artifice you have going. Unfortunately, this Robert has to take the blame for it year <laughs> after year when you say to him, what? that's not what it sounded like. It's not supposed to sound like that, Robert. And... It doesn't do him any good saying, but, 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 but. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it has a mind of its own. Yeah, it theory and practice are unrelated in Perubu. And yet, you... in theory, the, the uncontrollability of the synthesizer is its strength. And in practice, it's its weakness, <laughs> which is usually the case with strengths. They are your greatest weakness. Well, you got to love that ca- element of chaos. The element, as you said, of unpredictability seems to be a big part of, you can impose a certain amount of structure, but you like the fact that there is that element of, Anything could happen in in the middle of a song. It seems well, like that's in theory, a key part that's the, yeah. In theory, that's the that's the deal. Now you you've got these parallel projects going. Obviously, Perubu here in the studio with us today. Yeah, also, the Pale Boys, your solo stuff, Rocket from the Tombs is once again a going concern. Playing some amazing shows. How do you separate out material for those different projects? Do you see distinctive kinds of treatments, songs going I for can spe- cut this short. specific projects? Yeah, yeah. It's very much like like uh, waiting at a bus stop and taking the next bus. So you you wait there, and the Paribu bus comes along, and you get on the bus, and you ride that for the length of the ride. And then you get off the bus, and you stand there, and the next bus comes along, and you ride it. I don't, there's, very, there's absolutely no decision-making at all involved in the process. It's fortunate mm. that the music industry works on the cycles, and so... You know, you put out a record and you tour and you come home and you wish that you were dead. And then you start writing the next one and the process continues decade after decade. Now, the the new record, Why I Hate Women, Inner Sleeve, there's a uh, a statement. This is an irony-free recording. Right. You've talked a little bit about the influence of Jim Thompson, the pulp novelist, mm-hmm. on, on this project. You're creating a character here. We just heard a pretty riveting account uh, in Babylonian warehouses, I would imagine. Are all these songs from the perspective of this character, one character that you've created in this record, Uh, or is there multiple characters in this record? I don't know how to answer that, because when I come up with an idea for the lyrics of an album, you know, you construct a backstory, and from that backstory, I like to choose one moment, one psychological moment, and that, to me, is what the album's about. It's about an instant in time, so... 
Um, are there more than is there more than one character? Probably. I don't know. I I'm not paid to analyze it. You know, I'm paid I'm paid for that moment. Do you think people are understanding that this is in the voice of a character? I no. mean, are you getting Gee, no. David, why do you hate women? <laughs> no, no. This is one of the this is one of the reasons why I ended up, you know, it, the name came to me in a bar, and it seemed to be – I was searching for a title that Jim Thompson would approve of. <laughs> so I knew it was going to be mildly vexing and annoying at various times. But one of the th- reasons – one of the prime in reasons why I decided just to go with the title is because of all this n- nonsense in rock music, this mythology that the singer is some tortured soul crying out in the wilderness. <laughs> they're just stories. you know. They're mm-hmm. made up. 22-year-olds do not have tortured souls. I don't <laughs> care what they think. So, yeah, I mean, this this notion that for some reason rock songs aren't made up, you know, is so it's laughable to have to say it, but I'm afraid it's true. You've been playing characters from the beginning, though, uh, David, and, yeah. and this notion of teenage angst and the misery that imposes, I mean, that that was fodder for plenty of Perubu songs and Rocket songs a million years ago. <laughs> a great we had time. a very unique perspective on it, though. Um, yes, this was. I mean, if you can have post-industrial and post-modern, you can certainly have post-angst. You know, this yeah, was, yeah. The final solution was absolutely <laughs> written as a post-angst song. Mom threw me out till I get some pants to fit. It's a copy of Summertime Blues, and this punk acne-faced teen is going to the United Nations with his problem. <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, yeah, yeah. I thought that was worthy of many songs. You know, oh, it's that sort of notion. Yeah, it's one of the best songs in rock history. Absolutely. Period. And you are one of the most engaging frontmen in rock history. I mean, when you, I'm in a good mood. Uh, when you're, you're in a bad mood, too, today. though. I mean, you know, we've seen you stomp around on stage, and you seem to become possessed you're someone else you're, no you're i'm walking. not i'm just no? i'm just cre- you know it's just a story <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you tell stories with everything you've got to give to the story I and mean, yeah, you know yeah. why bother otherwise when you brought rocket from the tombs back around again for the first time in what 20 plus years and that it just left my jaw on the floor well, and it, where does that come from at this you know at this day you say well they, you know they you know it's not about that anymore for these guys, and it was. It was this amazingly brutal, intense oh, experience. Rocker, yeah. Okay. Well, where does it come from? It's I'm a musician. I don't. Nothing's changed in the way I or we approach music in 30 years. So why shouldn't it be that brutal still? David, as daily newspaper critics, we can listen to the Stones circa 64, 65. And they're and, phoning it in. And hear that brutality <laughs> that was there once. You know, and you see them now, and it, it, it's Vegas. It's a show review. Well, we're not you know? the same band. We don't come from the same background. We don't have the same dedication. They don't. I, somebody doesn't have the same dedication to what they're doing. Yeah. It makes a lot of difference if you simply refuse to change your ideas. Because if you refuse to change your ideas, 
you don't get confused. You know, mm-hmm. the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones, I think, I suspect, have changed their ideas. You have a good idea, you stick with it. It's like the bus. If you get on a good <laughs> get on bus, the- <laughs> you're going to take it to the end of the line. It's a good bus. If they're serving soft drinks and candy and popcorn, you say, I'll go to the end of the line on this one. It's a happy bus. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's take the bus somewhere. Are you going to play us another song from yeah. Why I Hate Women? Um, Let, let's tell people real briefly before you launch into this. So you guys are touring, as, as you almost always are. Uh, Pointlessly. And our listeners in <laughs> Minneapolis are going to be able to see you uh, at the 400 Bar and then at the Abbey Pub in Chicago. I think we'll give them advance warning. Good. Do you want us to play now? Sure. Okay. Take it away.
Perubu. Thank you so much, David Thomas and Perubu, for coming by Sound Opinions. It's uh, it's been an honor to have you guys here. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You can hear bonus tracks from Per Ubu's performance and all of our live performances at soundopinions.org. You can also sign up there for our email list so you'll always know what's coming up on the show. We're going to be right back on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with a new record from the freak folk icon Bert Yanch and my Desert Island jukebox pick. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. What you are hearing there was uh, a guitarist by the name of Bert Yance, and that is a song from his new record. It's called Hey Pretty Girl. The name of the album is The Black Swan. It's released on Chicago's Drag City label. I talked to Mr. Yance a few weeks ago. He claims that it is the first time he has been signed directly to an American record label. He is a native of Scotland whose career began in the mid-60s when he was playing guitar uh, in a number of uh, folk clubs around the U.K. And his first record caused a sensation. His self-titled debut record, recorded for about 100 bucks in his kitchen, (laughs) blew minds around the U.K. and Europe. Among the people who cite Yance's guitar playing in the 60s and early 70s, not only on his solo folk records but with the progressive folk band Pentangle, were Jimmy Page, who uh, who heard Yance's version of a traditional song called Black Waterside and turned it into Led Zeppelin's Black Mountainside. That was directly lifted from Yance. Neil Young has called Yance his favorite guitar player. 
the list goes on and on. His influence has continued over decades, and yet he is basically unknown in the United States, widely certainly among the record-buying public, and his his primary claim to fame are all these records that he put out in in the sixties and early seventies uh, around the uh, the acid folk movement in England. So this is quite an event. The fact that he has this label in America now supporting his music, distributing it widely in the U.S. He has also become somewhat of a um, a godfather to a new movement of folk artists called freak folk. I hate that term, freak it, folk. It's, it's what very exa- silly. It yeah. implies all sorts of stuff that I don't want to know about. <laughs> you know, you, you think of mushroom-chomping fairies in the field well, play, I, strumming acoustic I guitars. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the number of artists who have cited Yance as an influence in this new era of, of folk music is is legion. Well, many of um, whom are, are on this. You yes. know, Drag City is not only a hip indie label. Yeah. It is the uber-hip indie label of the underground. <laughs> And you've got Beth Orton on this record and Devandra Bonhart, who is, is pretty much considered the king of the new freak folk. David Roback of Mazzy Star and, and the Rain Parade. Yeah, and, and uh, Devandra Barnhart's uh, guitar player and producer, Noah Jorgensen, is the producer on this particular yeah. record. So uh, you have this young guard paying tribute to the uh, aging master. Uh, Jans is now 63. He had a heart attack a couple of years ago. But he is now touring the United States for the first time in eight years. Well worth seeing if you have not seen Mr. Jans in person. He is an extraordinary uh, guitar player. What made him extraordinary? He was taking this folk idiom, playing old Scottish ballads, Irish ballads, and transforming them with infusions of jazz and blues. Uh, we had Donovan on the show a few months ago, Jim, talking about exactly this. Mm-hmm. And Yance was one of those uh, forerunners of that movement, bringing in these different types of influences into acoustic guitar playing. I think he was sort of blown away uh, in the late 60s by the Jimmy Pages and uh, and the Eric Clapton's of the world who were plugging in and playing electric blues. Oh, not to mention and Richard Thompson, Fairport a, Convention. A sure. lot of this stuff got lost in the shuffle, but Yance, uh, his influence remains uh, profound. And uh, he's got a new record out, which sounds a heck of a lot like those uh, folk records he was putting out in the 60s. There's not a lot that has changed here. Uh, here's a track from the new Burt Yance record. It is a collaboration with one of his latest guitar students, Beth Orton, who rang up Mr. Yance and said, Bert, could you please give me some guitar lessons? Hmm. So she's been studying guitar with uh, Yance for the last couple of years. She sings the vocals on this song, uh, When the Sun Comes Up, from Bert Yance's new record, The Black Swan, on Sound Opinions. Child 
That's Beth Orton crooning when the sun comes up with one of her heroes, Bert Yanch, on his new album, The Black Swan. Uh, Greg, it's wrong to call it a comeback album because Bert never went anywhere. He's been making music pretty much consistently Mm -hmm. since the mid-60s, and no one has been caring. And there is a good reason for that. His Celtic ballads and Eastern European dirges and mix of all that is, generally speaking, enervating, tuneless, plotting, and pretty much a complete and thorough drag. You can try to market this as, you know, the roots of freak folk, but it's 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 a yawn. It, it really is dismal and dire and dreadful. Oh my God. And I despise this album to the core of my being. <laughs> this is what punk rose up to protest. I, I like the era from which he came. There would be no Donovan, no Fairport Convention, no Zepp in its quieter moments without this guy, but man, don't make me listen to him. You can try for a Nick Drake late career rediscovery, but those Drake records were rediscovered because they were brilliant. There's nothing brilliant happening in Burt Yonch. Oh, I don't know. The guitar playing is pretty damn brilliant. Uh, there are still schools and schools of guitar players. I mean, he had Johnny Marr playing on his last record. I mean, these guys are lining up at his door to play with the guy, learn from him. No one has played uh, folk guitar quite the way Bert Yance has, and I still think he's at the top of his game. I think you you don't know what you're talking about, Jim. You sound like a like you've never heard folk music before. I ain't no understand folky. I ain't no folk. The innovation buddy. that this guy has brought to the form. I uh, mean, he yeah, totally yeah, yeah. transformed it. I'm I'm as bored with uh, strumming guitar players singing earnest uh, protest songs in, in the in the coffee house as you are. But this guy took it somewhere else. It was there was a mystical vibe to it, uh, an Ooh. acid vibe to it, and uh, <laughs> you know those blues and jazz influences. I mean, he sounds like two or three guitar players. I think that's the uh, antihistamines talking because you were suffering from a cold today. Antihistamines are not. The Black Swan is a beautiful record, and uh, the accompaniment on this record is wonderful. The young musicians defer to, to uh, Yance, but at the same time, as you can hear from Morton's voice there, Noah Jorgensen's uh, production the beautiful cello playing on the title song. This is a, a, a wonderful little folk record and a great introduction to Bert Yance. For anybody who has not heard him, uh, you, could, you couldn't do worse than uh, start with this record. I, I think it's a buy-it record all the way. I'm sorry, but it's a trash-it record, Mr. Cott. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. All right, it's that time of the show to pop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. Jim DeRogatis has been crowing about this selection all day. He hasn't told us what it is yet, but he claims that it is the greatest Desert Island Jukebox of all time. Right? Or at least this week. Yeah, right, this I, week. I, no, because I, I ain't no folky. I just said it. I denigrated Bert Yanch's record. But I like the idea of freak folk. However, this movement out of New York, Devendra Barnhart, Animal Collective, Espers to some degree, calling themselves freak folk, man, they ain't freaky enough for me. Devendra Barnhart would be James Blunt if he didn't smoke so much pot, you know? <laughs> I'm going to play for you, Greg, the freakiest folk music of all time, the epitome of psychedelic folk, a group that has influenced Robin Hitchcock, who's going to be in our studio in a couple of weeks, all manner of twisted psychedelic freaky people uh, ever since. They played at Woodstock. 
But they were so freaky, they didn't make the movie. <laughs> I'm talking about the incredible string band. This is an interesting story. There were two guys named Mike Heron and Robin Williamson who hooked up in the mid-60s because they were doing this beatnik thing where they were kind of hitchhiking and, and walking across North Africa. <laughs> and they, they met up. They were both incredibly talented, multi-instrumental folk musicians coming from the same scene as Janch, mixing Scottish and Celtic folk musics with Eastern European drones Ancient musics, new musics, being inspired by Dylan, being inspired by the old bards. And they came up with something that I think has never been equaled in rock history in terms of sheer and utter freakiness. There were large amounts of LSD involved. <laughs> there was communal living. There was, you know, free love and all sorts of weirdness there. In fact, both guys eventually wound up bringing their significant others into the band. One was called Licorice and the other was called Rose. And it was as a quartet that they played Woodstock. They put out a couple of records produced by Joe Boyd, who was coming off the success of Fairport Convention and the first Pink Floyd recordings. Mm -hmm. So Boyd knew how to get the folk sounds, and he knew how to get the freak sounds. And I think the two have never been better, freaky and folky, than on the Incredible String Band's best album, The Hangman's Beautiful Daughter. I'm going to play for you a track called The Minotaur Song. You know what a minotaur is, the classical beast, as Williamson, who... I got to say, has a vocal that's sort of like a slippery eel. It spans two or three octaves and rarely is ever in anything resembling tune. But it's just that there's no voice like this ever. The Minotaur, he's as nasty as it can get. And the reason is he's suffering from insomnia. He can't get any sleep because his horns get in the way. And there's at one point where the song... I know song, exactly what he's talking the about. The song yeah. breaks down yeah. and, and you hear the Minotaur <laughs> going moo and snoring kind of and trying... He's like waking himself up. I mean, this is the silliest, weirdest, bizarrest. And, and Williamson sings, you know, I'm, I'm half bull and I'm half man. And you got, you got to see the cover. Here's the album cover. Because they're all like hanging out in the woods, clearly stoned out of their gourds and ready to eat some bark. I mean, this is just, this is freaky folk. This is great. This is the Minotaur song on sound opinions from the incredible string band. Straight from the shoulder, I think like a soldier, I know what's right and what's wrong. He knows what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> I'm the original discriminating buffalo man, and I'll do what's wrong as long as I can. He'll do what's wrong as long as he can. I live in a labyrinth under the sea, down in the dark as dark as can be. I like the dark as dark as can be. He likes the dark as dark as can be. I'll even attack you or eat you a whole. Down in the dark, my bone mills roll. Porridge for my porridge bowl. Porridge for his porridge bowl. I'm strong as the earth from which I'm born. He's strong as the earth from which he's born. I can't dream well because of my horns. He can't dream well because of his Strong as the earth from which he's born. I can't dream 
He's the original discriminating buffalo man, and he'll do what's wrong as long as he can. That's that's you're freak folk. You're completely off your rocker. That's great. Oh my god, I love that song. You know what? If that was released this year, I'd have to make it a candidate for our annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot. No, oh. uh, but that's coming up next week. Those are the records that we most anticipated this year, thought very highly of before they were released. Had high thought, hopes, yeah. Very high hopes, and ended up going down in flames. We're going to bounce that off, though, Jim. It's not going to be a total bummer. We're going to have our annual holiday gift guide, CDs, books, anything under the musical sun that you could possibly buy for your music-loving friends for Christmas. We're going to have some suggestions for you next week. Yeah, so some of the best and some of the worst. But speaking of the best, Sound Opinions is produced by Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, our beloved team. We get technical help from Joe Dassault, legal assistance from Dino Armiros, uh, literary aid from Barbara Lynn, and our session with Perubu was engineered by Mary Gaffney and set up by Ilka Pardinas. Tori Southside Malatia is our executive producer and fearless leader, and Jim Russell is our man at American Public Media and the other Minotaur that you better watch out for. <laughs> <laughs>